Hi, today we are back with another episode of Faith in Gethsemane. My name is Dejana, and today we are going to be talking about the concept of only God can judge me. So, too many times when we are convicting our brother and sister in Christ and helping them humbly back to the road of salvation, it's often thrown in your face that, you know, you're not perfect either, or you make mistakes too, so you have no right to speak on what I'm doing. And in biblical truth, that isn't the case. So today we're going to go through the difference between the scripture of don't judge anyone and how we can humbly convict each other and how people can do it to us as well. So we're going to be heavy in scripture today. So I have the New Living Translation and we're going to start off in Matthew 7 and 1. It says, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use to judge in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So first off, I want to go to the definition of what judging is. So I went to the dictionary, the Cambridge Dictionary, and it says judge to express a bad opinion of someone's behavior, often because you think you are better than them. So in this scripture, it's not saying Jesus isn't saying do not go to your brother and convict them humbly or do not be convicted by another believer or someone else humbly. It is saying, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to be. Do not look down on others when you are coming. Do not condemn them. Instead, convict them. Do not set yourself on such a high pedestal, on such a high horse to where you feel like that you are a perfect walking human being because that's a spirit of narcissism or haughtiness or conceitedness. So then we go over to where Paul was talking in Romans in 12 and 3. And it continues this idea of haughtiness and the conceitedness and not judging, but helping correct your brother and sister in Christ. So it says, because of the privilege and authority, now this is Paul talking, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Do not think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given us. Now, there's a lot to be unpacked in this scripture. So first of all, we are supposed to self-reflect. We are supposed to, if you are backbiting, stealing, cheating, drinking, lying, you are supposed to self-reflect, but that's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are a born-again believer and you are in sin, not habitually because there's a difference, but you have slipped and fallen into sin, you're supposed to self-reflect, pricked by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and reflect and then repent. But Paul warns us to be honest in our evaluation, to not think, oh, you know, I lied only once when I was in high school and I never did anything that bad because there becomes a spirit of I'm better than, that I'm on a superior level, that I can't be compared to others, and that my sin is not as great as others. If that isn't the heaviest sin coming out of the pits of hell, because all of us have fallen short and all of us have fallen into sin. So there's not, I can't say that, you know, I didn't sin as much as Jessica or Jessica can't say the same thing about me. We are all dirty and had to be washed in the blood of Christ. And so I want to read the footnote for this scripture, Romans 12 and 3, it says, transform kingdom 
living calls for lives marked by humility. We can stop right there. <laughs> There's a lot left in the paragraph, but humility. When you are coming to someone, even walking in your walk with Christ, you are supposed to be humble and full of humility, which is saying, I'm not better than no one. As the going back to the definition of what it means to judge, um, to express a bad opinion of someone's behavior often because you think you're better than them. And right here, this convicts the spirit of haughtiness. It tells us to always stay humble in humility and continues to say, and service through giftedness to the body of Christ. So even when we are convicting someone else and trying to lead them back onto the straight and narrow path, it's not just to call attention to an imperfection. It's not to be nagging about someone's character when they do not hit the standard of what living like Christ is, because even Jesus didn't do that. And we're going to visit an example about that in a couple of minutes, but it is to strengthen the body of Christ. There's a reason you are correcting this person because you love them enough through Christ and the Holy Spirit is pricking at your heart to go to them lovingly and convict them back onto the straight and narrow path to build up and strengthen the body of Christ because sin cannot live in the camp of the body of Christ. So then it continues to say, Paul reminds us that just as a physical body is made up of many members, each with a different function, the church is a body of many members, but all closely related and constituting a unity in Christ, with each one having individual functions and responsibilities. We are not to inflate our own position, nor be begrudged by others in their office. So we are all supposed to be here helping one another. We are supposed to be the um, statement of I am my brother's keeper. It's the same way when we go to someone and convict them lovingly and led by the Holy Spirit is to build up the body of Christ. So now we come to an example of how we humble ourselves and help a brother and sister come back to Christ and convict them lovingly and not through condemnation. And it's found in John 8 and 7. So John chapter 8 is about the woman who was caught in adultery and how the religious leaders brought her in front of a crowd and blatantly had her mocked because of her sin. Then after that, they brought her to Jesus and brought up the Moses law about, well, when someone is found in adultery, then they are stoned. But Jesus had this response. As the religious leaders kept demanding an answer, Jesus stood up again and said, all right. But let one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Let's stop there. So they wanted to kill her. And back then, the punishment was to be stoned. And Jesus told them, now Jesus is holy, but there's a way he convicts us. And that's the difference. He convicts us and Satan condemns us. So he told them, whoever is without sin can cast the first stone. Not whoever is without sin, do not come to this woman in privately and talk to her and help her on the straight path. They wanted to kill her and stone her and not in a loving way. They didn't care about the correction of her behavior. They cared about justice in a sense that she should be killed for her actions. And Jesus is loving and that's not how he corrects. So the religious teachers didn't want to just convict this woman and they didn't have the grace and mercy Jesus had. Instead, they had the intent to parade her and stone her for her sins. But Jesus responds, we scroll down to verse 10. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
Now, this is the thing. Jesus still dealt with the sin. Jesus still made the differentiation between clean and unclean. But the difference is, is that he extended his grace and mercy towards this woman. So, but the thing is, Jesus extended his grace and mercy towards this woman so she could be redeemed and not stuck in condemnation. Because there's a difference between condemnation. Condemnation is the shame and the guilt and the overarching depression that comes when Satan comes to us and tells us, oh, don't you feel so bad for what you did? You should have never did that. No one loves you anymore because of the sin that you fell in. And it's all your fault, even though Satan was right there whispering in your ear to do whatever sin that led you to that guilt and shame. But the difference is, is that Jesus through the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us a sense of like a good father and say, and no, we know in our heart that we weren't supposed to do that. And Jesus gives us always a way out of, I still love you. You know, you shouldn't have done that, but I have redeemed you already. I've already shed my blood so you can be clean. So come back to me and repent and love. And that is how Jesus extends his grace and mercy and the difference between condemnation and conviction. Now we go back to, if we're looking at this whole idea of only God can judge us, where does that leave our friends and our relationships? Where does God speak on that? Because when we are supposed to be friends with someone, we should be the first ones to convict them when they are in sin. We should do it again lovingly. And that's always our overarching thing. It's through humility, through the Holy Spirit, and always lovingly. So now let's go to Proverbs 27 and 6. It reads in Proverbs 27 and 6, it says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The biggest differentiation to know if someone is truly your friend is when you are doing all types of wrong, they will never say anything. They'll sit there and do your, their sin and with you, and at the end of the day, won't say anything. A true friend is someone who is not going to sit there with your shenanigans and allow you to do everything from here to Jerusalem in sin, but they're going to sit and correct you and tell you how it really is. They're going to tell you, you know, good and well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be listening to that song. Your mouth shouldn't be full of profanity. Your actions should be sweeter and more loving than that. That is what a true friend does. And the footnote for this says, tough love is better than flattering hypocrisy. An enemy will always be the first one to be flattering through hypocrisy to you. Because they don't care about where the longevity of your soul is going to live. They don't care about, they only care about making you feel good in that moment for whatever you've done. It's Satan's, it's like Satan talking to you and saying, oh yeah, you know, this feels fine. Lying is okay. You know, you should have told that person off. They will do their dirt and sin with you. But it hurts sometimes when a true friend comes to us and tells us where we flawed and where we're wrong. That's the biggest distinction. A true friend will tell you when you're wrong and help correct you through love and your enemy will sit there and do the sin with you and just make it seem like it's perfectly fine. So, in the same way, it discussed the same aspect in Matthew 18 and 15. So we're going to go there. We're doing a lot of reading today, but it's okay because we're getting full of the Holy Spirit and understanding this idea of judgment. So Matthew 18 and 5. No, <laughs> 18 and 15. Correcting another believer. So with this whole idea of conviction, it becomes hard to also like, if you're both saved, to also convict someone else because you think, oh, well, aren't all saved people supposed to be convicted by the Holy Spirit? So why would I step in? 
we're still each other's brothers and sisters in Christ and none of us are perfect. So there's going to have a running. If you're dealing with people, there's going to be a running where you have to go to your brother or sister in private and say, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't agree with that because you're not always going to agree. So in Matthew 18 and 15, it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And that's another thing. With all of this judgment and conviction, you never, as the religious leaders did with the woman who committed adultery, they paraded her around. You never want to do that. According to the scripture, you go to this person in private and tell them how they wronged you or how you thought they were wrong. If the Holy Spirit pricks your heart to do so. And then it continues with sin. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have one that person back. We want to start right there because the next few scriptures is a whole lesson. So right then and there is that person sitting in humility as well, because also the person that's hearing the conviction has to humble themselves and admit that they're not a perfect person and they may have slipped. And so this word says, if the person listens and confesses it, that's the process of repentance. That, you know, I know I've done wrong. And then coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I know I've done wrong. And the difference between just confessing and repenting is that the repentance is to turn away. So they turn away from that sin and then they walk back on the straight and narrow path. So to start to close it off, if we go back to our foundation scripture, which is seven, Matthew 7 and 1, where it says, do not judge others. If we read, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Jesus did not mean that you cannot go to your brother and sister and tell them of their convictions or how they have wronged you in private. And it did not say that if you're their friend, you cannot share of how they're straying away from the path. Because at the end of the day, we are supposed to be loving towards others. We are each other's keepers. And we're supposed to always helping each other maturate towards being a strong body of Christ. So, so with that being said, I would like to go back to our foundation scripture, Matthew 7 and 1, and read the footnote. Jesus does not forbid criticism, opinions, or the condemnation of wrongdoing. What he forbids is sincereness. Sincereness. <laughs> the spirit of fault-finding that overlooks one's own shortcoming while assuming the role of supreme judge in regards to the sins of others. So reading that footnote, I go to my notes. I said, it shows love to correct in a humble, loving way by all circumstances, be led by the Holy Spirit. In that way, this scripture is not saying that we cannot tell our brother and sister in private how they wronged us. And we, we as friends as to each other, we have the authority to make a distinction between clean and unclean and stand firm on what the word says. And when our friend isn't walking that way, we have the right, we have the humility and love to go to that person and tell them where they've strayed away. But, and to close up with this last scripture, Proverbs 15 and one on how we go to our brother and sister when we have either an ought against them, when we have an opinion of differences, it's always about how we go to them. So Proverbs 15 and 1 says, A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempests flare. So even when you're going to your brother and sister and convicting them or telling them where they have wronged you, it should always be done in a loving manner, in a humble heart, and led by the Holy Spirit with a gentle answer in all things. So thank you for joining me for another podcast in Faith and Disability. Again, my name is Dejana and I will see you next time.